good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really excited to kick off this new series called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. Now, believe it or not, Pastor Mike selected this series back in November of 2019. Now, I could only imagine God sort of smiling, saying, yeah, you guys might want to do this one next year. So here we are. No one would have ever imagined our 2020 would have been the way that it is. There's all kinds of memes on the internet talking about 2020. One of the ones I liked was somebody said, my plans for 2020, and it had a picture of the Sydney Opera House. And then it said, my reality in 2020, and it was a dish drain that was overflowing with dishes that looked like the Sydney Opera House. You know, we started out the year 2020. It's a year of perfect vision, perfect ideas. It's going to be great. And here we are. Sometimes when we embark on a new journey, we have these dreams, these ideas, these expectations that it's going to go a certain way. We have these hopes, and then our reality ends up here. Some of you may remember your wedding day, standing at the altar. We were at a wedding last night, and it was just awesome. We're so excited for the bride and the groom, and families are there. Maybe you remember holding your child for the first time thinking, this is going to be the most obedient, compliant, smartest child ever to walk the earth, besides Jesus. And, um, and there you are in the hospital with all of these hopes and dreams. Maybe it was the first day of your new job thinking, man, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to engage the world and make a difference and, 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 and make an impact with my gifts. And then you fast forward 10 years and you're sitting on the couch with your spouse thinking, man, this is a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And then somewhere along the line between when your child was born and when they became a teenager, they sort of grew this phone connected to their hand and it was undetachable, and it's hard to get through. Or you're at work realizing, man, more and more cuts. They're throwing more and more work on you for the same pay. Expectations keep going up, and you're saying, this is ridiculous. We have these expectations, and then our reality. I remember being prayed for as we were commissioned. I was commissioned to pastor a church in Los Angeles. I was in my 20s, and just the sky was the limit. I had my young son in my hands, and now he's bigger than I am, but there I was holding him, and my wife was there. My family came from out of town. Pastors from around the city were praying for us, and I just knew there was so much hope. There was so much expectation. I mean, great things were going to happen. Then I fast forward 10 years, and I'm on the front pew of the church at 2 a.m. The lights are out, and tears are streaming down my face as we're in the middle of a painful church split, wondering where is God in this and why he's allowing that to happen. Our expectations and our reality. And the gap in between is what we can call the disappointment gap. The gap between what we hoped, how we hoped things would be, and the reality. And the question that we have today to deal with is, where is God in that, and why has he allowed that to happen? Well, part of the answer comes right at the beginning of, Bible, of the Bible in the book of Genesis. We see that God created the world, he created humanity, and it was good, and it was harmonious, and Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with each other. They were not ashamed. They had perfect connection and with God and even with creation. There's a Hebrew word for this called shalom. And shalom means peace, 
but it also means well-being. It means health. It means wholeness. It means things are the way they're supposed to be. And God placed humanity in that garden with a tree of life in the middle of the garden. And he said, from all the trees you can eat, you are free. This is yours. I have created it for you. But there's one tree next to the tree of the fruit of the tree of life is the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm just putting some boundaries and I'm just saying, don't eat from that tree. That's just a boundary that I'm placing there for you. And humans being humans, if you've had a baby human, you know that there's something in us that questions and is going to ask that why, 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 why can't I? What is it about that? There's this natural curiosity. And the same was true with Adam and Eve as they took the fruit and they said, you know what? We can define good and evil on our own terms. We know better. We essentially are going to assume the place that really was meant for God to be. And when that happened, the immediate first reaction was shame, was an awareness. Their conscience kicked in, and they realized that they were naked, and they hid from each other, and they hid from God. And there was, where there was once, there was shalom. Now sin has shattered that. Where once there was perfect harmony, now there was separation. But here's the good news, that God didn't leave them in that place. In fact, God comes to search them out. And theologians call this the missio dei, the beginning of the mission of God. And as a missions pastor, I love this, that our theology of mission goes all the way back to the beginning of the Bible when God begins to seek out humanity to restore and reconcile their relationship with him and with one another. And from that point, through the rest of scripture, you see this arc of how God is at work to bring and restore the shalom, the rightness in the relationship between humanity and himself and even in creation. You see God creating the tabernacle where now the people can have a place where they can meet and experience and dwell with the presence of God. He gives them laws so that they can understand and and have boundaries and, and learn right and wrong and learn what it means to live righteously. And, and on through Scripture, all the way through to the end of Scripture, the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, you see something really interesting. At the very beginning, God creates this pathway of shalom back into relationship with Him. And the last chapter, the last book of the Bible, we see again the tree of life. The same tree that was in the garden at the beginning. Check this out, Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the river stood the tree of life, that same tree that was there in the beginning, bringing, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, shalom being restored. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. There will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever 
and ever, the way it was supposed to be, the way it was designed to be, humanity in right relationship with God, in right relationship with each other, and even in right relationship with creation. It begins this process of restoration at new creation. There's a bridge from the beginning till the end. The only challenge is we live in the in-between. We live between the two gardens. We live in that place of brokenness and the shattering of shalom. So how do we get there? How do we get to that place where there's once again healing and restoration and wholeness? Because that's what we all long for. Well, we can't do it on our own. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Here's God's standard, here's God's expectation, here's God's desire, and all of us have sinned. We've all created that gap of disappointment. You know, I used to think when I was younger, man, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna go up to Adam, and I'm gonna punch him in the gut and be like, what were you thinking? But then I realized, you know, he'd probably do like some kind of judo move and catch my hand and be like, other people have tried that. But then I realized, do you know what? We're all in this. We've all created that gap. We can't pass. Adam and Eve tried to pass the blame. Oh, it was the woman. What was the snake? Listen, if we're honest, we've all fallen short. And and that word for sin in the Greek, hamartia, is literally an archery term. It, It means to miss the mark. And for those of you hunters out there, you got your elk lined up in your sights, and you squeeze the trigger. And if you miss... That's hamartia. Did you know that's a sin to miss? No, I'm just kidding. It, it means to, to miss the mark. The word, literally, it's, a, it's an archery term. So whether you miss by a little or a lot, you've missed. And that's what Romans 3.23 is telling us. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. So how do we get there? How do we get back to shalom? How do we get back to that right relationship that we were created for? There's a tree in the beginning. There's a tree at the end. And guess what? There's a tree in the middle. Paul says it like this in Galatians 3.13. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Now Paul takes this law out of Deuteronomy and he applies it to Christ. He could have used cursed is anyone who's hung on a cross, but he specifically uses This phrase, tree, to cause in our imaginations the connection of the tree of life here in Genesis and the tree of life again that appears in Revelation. And yet, ironically, the thing that connects us, the thing that allows us to experience shalom is a tree in the middle, only it's a tree of death. Where Christ takes upon himself the sin of humanity, yours and mine, where Christ takes upon himself the consequences of the sin of humanity, the curse of separation, the curse of hurt and pain that has entered into the world, the shattering of shalom. Jesus takes that, he absorbs it upon himself so that any of us that now claim Christ as our Lord, as our Savior, can experience the freedom and the wholeness that we were originally designed for. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it like this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone identifies with Christ, if anyone claims the name of Christ and chooses to walk as a disciple, says they are a new creation. The old is gone, 
and the new has come. Paul says to the church in Philippi, he says, being confident of this, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. In other words, by saying yes to Jesus, we experience this new life, this new creation that starts now. It's not fully complete. It's not fully there. It's a, it's a here, but not quite yet, but it's in process. It's in progress, and that's why we come to church, and we learn, and we study, and we read, and we do community groups, because we're growing into the kind of people that God has designed and desired for us to be, that one day we will be when we are whole again in his presence. But it starts now. And not only that, but we become agents and ministers of reconciliation. To reconcile means to make right relationship. The rest of that passage in 2 Corinthians says that we have not only been reconciled to God, but we've been given a ministry of reconciliation. That's why we do mission. That's why we do Jesus conversations, to help people understand that there is a God that loves you, that created you, that wants to be in relationship with you, that wants to make you whole, that in Christ you can experience that beginning now and continuing on. That's our message and that's our mission, but first we've got to experience it. First we've got to encounter God and experience the wholeness that he wants to bring to us. So here's what I want you to do this week. Two things. First thing that I want to encourage you is to meet God in your disappointment. Meet God in that place, in the disappointment gap between what you were hoping for and where your reality is. You see, a lot of times we think, where is God in this? Where is God in the pain and the broken relationship and my health challenges and my financial challenges? Where is God? Well, God was there when Adam and Eve fell, and he sought them out. That's his mission. In fact, when you read the Bible, one of the things that you'll see is that God is attracted to that place. God is drawn to that place. God is moved to that place. I mean, think of Jesus walking around. Who were the people that he stopped to talk to? The ones that were needy, the lepers, the lame, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, those that were rejected by society but knew they had a need. Jesus met them in that place and brought healing, and wholeness. Jesus said it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's not the ones that have everything the way that they want it to be. It's the sick, the ones that understand there's a gap between where they are and where things ought to be. That's where God meets us. Psalm 34, 12 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. So meet God, in the place of your disappointment, be real with him, be honest. Lisa Turkhurst, the author of this study, says, in order to heal our pain, we need to feel our pain. We need to do that in God's presence. 500 years ago, Michelangelo took a block of marble at 24 years old, and he carved this amazing work of art called the Pieta, which is Mary holding the dead and lifeless body of her son. And if you look at this, there's so much there. There's so much happening. It's, it's truly a masterpiece. You can see underneath Jesus' arm here, Mary is cradling him tenderly, and, and the skin is kind of pushed up. I mean, it's so lifelike. And you, and you, and you think of, of Jesus in the temple when, when Mary held him and, and presented in him and Simeon and Anna came and prophesied this child is going to change the world. And now Mary's holding him. 
dead, crucified. His hand here is the, 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 the mark of the nail and the scar. Disappointment. It's not supposed to be this way. And yet here she is. For me, the thing that's most moving about this is Mary's left hand right here. This posture, it's, it's not clenched, it's not angry, it's open. It's a recognition of God has given, and and in this case, God has taken away. But there's this receptivity that Mary has shown throughout her life from the announcement by the angel that she would bear the Son of God, and she didn't quite understand. She didn't quite know how it would happen, but she trusted, and she said yes. And here she is, in the place of her deepest disappointment, allowing for the possibility of new life, allowing for the possibility of, that somehow God would work through this death and tragedy and somehow bring life through it. You see, she didn't know the end of the story at this point. We do, of course, on this side of it. We know Christ rose from the dead, but in that moment, she didn't know all she could do was hope and trust and wait. In fact, there's a replica of this statue right here in Casper at, uh, in City Park, St. Anthony's Church, right in the front lawn. I'd encourage you to swing by this week. Just drive by or get out and, and hang out in front of it and look at it. Now, it is weathered 40 years sitting outside here in the Casper weather, but nonetheless, it's powerful, it's moving, it's emotive, and it's a reminder that we meet God, not just when things are going well, but we meet God in the very place of our disappointment. And I want to encourage you to have the courage to do that this week, to tell God. And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about how to actually do that. I'm going to be teaching from the Psalms and and give some real practical things, things you can do to help meet and encounter God, express that, and express where you're at and allow God to meet you. In fact, that's what the Psalms are all about. So meet God in the place of your disappointment. The other thing that I want to encourage you to do is meet others in community. Meet others in community. We're kicking off this series this week. It's not supposed to be this way. Our community groups are going through this study. And we're trying to create a safe place where in a small group of people, we can be real with what's actually going on in our lives. I had a pastor friend that used to say, it's okay to not be okay. We want to create a space where we can meet God together in that place of disappointment and support one another. You won't be asked to share anything you don't want to share, but we want you to feel that, that you can be held in community and supported in that place. On your way out, if you're not connected with the community group, my challenge for you today is get connected to one today. This week, journey with others as we start this series and as we start to experience and encounter God right where we are. Lisa Turkhurst, the author of this study, is gut-wrenchingly honest about her disappointment. She's the president and founder of a ministry called Proverbs 31 Ministries, internationally known. It's gone around the world, taught books, conferences. Her name is out there. She is well-known. And in this study, she talks about the pain of her very own marriage dissolving as a result of her husband's repeated infidelities. She talks about 
her health issues of cancer and having half of her intestines removed through illness. And she's sharing what God has taught her in that and provides a way for us to likewise process the disappointment gap. In the beginning, there was shalom. At the end, there will be shalom. And here we are in the middle of a sin-soaked world where that shalom has been shattered, but that's not the final word. The cross stands in the middle as that bridge, as the gap between those two trees, and that's right where we encounter God. That's the invitation. In fact, to claim the name of Jesus, we talk about, we use this language, meet him at the cross, where you can bring your brokenness, and you can allow his broken body to be healing for you. Because as Isaiah prophesied 600 years before Jesus, by his wounds, we are healed. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing this last song, At the Cross. And and as we do, bring your whole self to God. Bring where you are, what's going on in your life to him right now. And allow him to meet you in this place.